When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to let you know that if you are interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com slash audible. Most free trial offers only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we're giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 52, and we're recording on Tuesday, May 21st. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rancy Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rancy. How are you? Good. We are having some technical difficulties today. <laughs> oh, boy. I hope, yes, hopefully we will not have any more technical difficulties. But yes, for, for those of you who are not privy to our pre-episode warm-ups, so to speak. Um, right as we were about to start recording, my microphone cut out. Had I had to find a new cord. And then while I was trying to connect again on Skype with you, Rincey, uh, your computer kind of crapped out. So. Yeah, I'm not even sure what happened on my end because it said I was still online. Like the little green dot was there. I don't know what happened, but I just like forced closed my Skype and restarted it. And then it said I had a missed call from you, which it never rang. So <laughs> yeah, well, it was it usually makes a different noise when it rings. This one, it was like it, it was calling you, but it sounded like I don't think this she's gonna pick up. And then it, and it says, Rinsey's not online. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, so we'll see we'll see how tonight goes. <laughs> well, thankfully we have a we have a team of of uh, sound editors who are able to patch together episodes when we do have technical difficulties. So by the time you guys are listening to this, you will not hear any of those technical difficulties except for us complaining about them. <laughs> Which, you know, everyone loves to hear, right? Oh, yes. Well, I it's it's something that everyone can relate to. That's for sure. I don't know. Today today just feels like it's one of those days, like at work, I was like dropping everything. And, you know, it's one of those things where you start talking to someone, but you have a pen in your hand, and then it just goes flying out and like hits the other person in the forehead kind of day. <laughs> so maybe this is just par for the course. Maybe, but it's okay. We'll we'll get through it together. Yes, we will. Okay. We'll stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if you are new to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking through all of our technical issues and <laughs> stick in sticking with us. We very much appreciate it. So if you are new to the show, um, we talk about mysteries, thrillers, suspense, true crime, and pretty much anything and everything in between that has to do with any of those topics. So this is the part of the show where we always remind our listeners to let us know if they're 
is a if there's a news item that that we didn't mention that you found really interesting or if there's a subgenre that you've kind of wanted to know more about but haven't gotten a chance to explore or if you have any kind of uh listener questions or reading reading requests or Anything along those lines that fits the mystery and suspense mold, um, let us know because we've we use these topics to help um, fill our episodes, come up with themes to talk about. It helps us uh, discover lots of new authors and subgenres that we may not have otherwise tried before, and we really love hearing from from people. So at the end of the show, we will have our contact information if you would like to get in touch with us. We do appreciate all of the all of the emails and uh, tweets and all of that stuff um, that you guys have sent already. And so, like I said, this is we always remind everyone at the beginning of the show that this is that this is something that we that we actively solicit. Um, and so with that, I'm going to let Rincey kick us off with our uh, with our regular news segment. All right. So first up uh, in Entertainment Weekly, I think it came out either this week or last week. Um, they did an interview with Nora Roberts. Uh, and specifically, they did it because she is publishing the 50th book under um, the pseudonym JD Robb and specifically in the In Death series. So if you uh, weren't aware JD Robb is a pseudonym for Nora Roberts. I remember like finding that out like five years ago or something like really recent and like feeling slightly like mind blowing meme. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she's been, uh, writing books under that name for about 25 years now. And I think it says next February. So it won't be until 2020. Her 50th book in the series will come out. It's called Golden in Death. Um, she's no Danielle Steele, but that is quite uh, a number two hit. If you are a reader in the mystery world, you are well aware of the fact that J.D. Robb is a very popular writer. But I was like, kind of mind blown when I saw that it was like 50, like five zero. Um, I was expecting it to be in like the 20s or something like that. Uh, but I'm sure that Katie, as a librarian, you've seen all of these pass through. <laughs> so you maybe are not as surprised as I am that uh, number 50 is coming out. Granted, I have not been a librarian for that long. <laughs> <Yeah>. However, <laughs> I just meant you see them on the shelves. <laughs> yes, I know what you meant. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I've not been a librarian for 25 years. Um, <laughs> sorry, now I'm just picturing me as a four-year-old librarian. <laughs> Oh, that's adorable. It is actually very cute, but inaccurate. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I, I knew that she had written a ton of books. Um, and I knew that I, um, I think, I can't remember if I purchased one at my most recent job. I don't think she's had one come out in the two months that I've been there. But she is a very prolific author. Um, and considering the fact that she writes both as she writes extremely prolifically under both Nora Roberts and J.D. Robb. I mean, it's oh, my gosh, that's a lot of books. Like you said, I don't know if it touches Danielle Steele, but that, well, that 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 number is redonkulous. So, um, but still, fifty books in this particular series—the fact that it has stayed so popular for so long—is incredible. Um, also, I would like to point out, and I cannot remember the name of the book, but there is there is a book from like 
sometime in the 90s that was quote-unquote co-written by Nora Roberts and J.D. Robb, and there are two author photos on the back. Like, oh my gosh, really? Yes. One of them is like Nora Roberts, and the other one is Nora Roberts, who's gone slightly Pat Benatar and is like a little bit more punked up. It's hilarious. Oh my gosh, I'm going to need to look this up while uh, you talk about this. Because- yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I cannot remember the name of it. I just remember coming across it a few years ago when we were doing when we were shelf reading or we were pulling old books, but somehow it ended up in my hands and I went, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so so that is a thing that exists. Yeah, if you uh, Google Remember When, that's apparently the name of the book. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally just Googled Nora Roberts, J.D. Robb, and then went to Google Images, and the first image is this picture. And she literally, it re- Pat Benatar is like a great... <laughs> sort of uh, explanation of what her alter ego looks like. Or maybe that's what Nora Roberts looks like. And then J.D. Robbs is the boring looking one. Sorry, <laughs> Nora Roberts. If that's what you look like. Oh, man, I just realized how insulting that sounded. We didn't mean that. I really didn't. But, you know, comparatively speaking, you know, there's the straight laced one and then the other. So anyways, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> well, tell us about the new Nancy Drew show. Oh, my gosh. Um, So there are so many like Nancy Drew adaptations that are theoretically being worked on at any point in time. Um, it feels like they're always announcing something or saying someone's starring in something that's Nancy Drew related. But there has been like a trailer released for a Nancy Drew show that is coming to the CW here in the United States. Um, it literally just looks like a spinoff of Riverdale. If anyone watches Riverdale out there, um, my niece loves that show. So I am like semi aware of it, even though I don't watch it myself. But it really has like the exact same vibe as Riverdale, it seems like, except the main character is Nancy Drew. Um, and they live in a town where it's not completely clear like what the mystery is going to be. But it seems like it's going to be a show where there's like one big mystery that goes over the whole season. And she has a bunch of different friends. It isn't like the traditional um, Beth and I can't remember the other girl's name. It's uh, Bess and George. George, thank you. Yeah, so it's not just I don't even know if the two girls that they feature in the trailer are named Beth and George because they don't name any of the other characters, I don't think. But yeah, I will have a link to the first look down below. um, So you guys can check it out if you're interested. If you are someone who have been enjoying um, the shows that are coming out on the CW these days, this will probably be up your alley. Uh, Personally, I'll probably just go watch the Veronica Mars remake or new season that's coming out on Hulu instead. (laughs) Well, I've been someone recently returned a couple of the classic Nancy Drew mysteries. The yellow ones? The yellow ones. Now, granted, there are two yellow ones. There are the original yellow covers, and then there's, like, the shiny yellow covers that are, like, the reissues that you could buy in, like, a five-pack at Sam's Club way back when. I did not. I don't know about the difference between these, so now I don't know which one. I think I'm pretty sure I read the originals because I read them from the library, so... The reissue ones, I think they use the same cover image, but like my my aunt, I remember for like my 11th or 12th birthday, she gave me all of her old Nancy Drew books. And I was just like, there was like 15 of them. And I was like, what? I was so excited. Um, but those had, um, the covers were made out of a slightly different material. It was a little, it was a little bit rougher to the touch. I can't remember the name of the, like the exact name of the material. They're hardback. And then, but then, um, I, I remember at Sam's Club, you could get like a five pack of the Nancy Drew original mysteries, but they were in like a shiny, 
uh, yellow. They had a shiny yellow hardcover. They had the same cover image, but it, it was shiny and yellow. I definitely have. I read the shiny yellow ones. Shiny yellow. Okay. Um. Yeah. The older ones were front were ones that were published like in the sixties kind of material. If you imagine books that were published back then. Got it. But yeah. Anyway, someone returned returned one of the shiny yellow books to the library, and I just had such nostalgia for those, and so I was like, oh. I need to grab a stack of these and just reread these. Spend an afternoon just reread a bunch of Nancy Drew mysteries. That would actually be really fun, too. I haven't read them since I was in whatever elementary school or middle school, whatever age I was when I was originally reading them. But I like did the thing where I would like go to I went I, I like have very vivid memories of going to my library going to the area where they had like the giant like a full shelf of just those yellow books and like I started at one and tried to work my way through as much in order as possible and so I would always there was always like a couple that I was missing like I missed like number seven for a while because it was always checked out or missing or something so I would do a scan to make sure there were none that I had missed and then just kind of go down the list um, or go down the row and pick up whichever ones I was on at that moment it was I loved it so much yeah and I um I read a lot of the classic ones, but then some of the newer ones, which were a little bit more updated, but not really. Um, but there were a few that had to do with horses, and I was a huge horse lover when I was like 10, 11 years old. Um, and so I, I always wanted to read the Nancy, the Nancy Drew mysteries that had to do with like horse racing or something like that. So that's, that's going to be... That that's gonna be my mission for the for the next few weeks. I'm gonna track down some of these Nancy Drew novels. <laughs> I mean, we could do an episode about that, you know. We totally should. In fact, and you know what? I remember reading this. Um, I read a ton of them over summer breaks. Like I would just yeah. spend a summer afternoon just like reading Nancy, rereading Nancy Drew and stuff, and it was just so it was so happy. So I think we should do that for another episode. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Sometime this summer, that would be like a great summer reading project. Okay, so everyone, look forward to that. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, um, we do have a couple of other uh, news items that we wanted to talk about. Um, one of them the is The Guardian. They, they published a list of 50 great thrillers written by women, um, and it's written in response to a list of the 100 best crime novels that only had uh, 28 female authors on the list. And so what they did is they asked, I, I'm guessing just based on basic mul multiplication skills, um, they asked 10 different authors to list five of their favorite thriller mystery suspense novels written by women to kind of counteract that. However, the list itself really should be called 50 Great Thrillers by White Women, because I don't think there's a single author of color on that list. Now, there was an author of color... Uh, Drada Say, Say Mitchell, I believe, is how you pronounce her name. She was one of the she was one of the authors who was asked to provide a list. So she she is an author of color. But I, as we were scanning the list of fifty of fifty novels, we I don't think there's a single author of color listed as a recommendation. So, Guardian, y you tried. I appreciate the effort, but ah, it's again, it's 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 a no for me, dog. <laughs> And not to say that there are not some fantastic novels on here. They There are. And nothing against any one of these novels individually. But guys, if we are going to put together a big list of thriller novels or mystery novels or whatever, and especially if we're doing it to try and, you know, do better than another list that was released, 
you got to do better. (laughs) Yeah, I just think this is like one of those things where it's like, unless you're actively thinking about it, you don't realize that this is happening until it's too late and or someone else points it out. Um, At Book Riot, we make an effort of making sure our lists and when we're talking about books and things like that, that we consider a wide variety of writers and writers from different backgrounds. When we are talking about books, when we put together lists, we keep all of that in mind. So I think for anyone who works at Book Riot, we look at lists like this. And the first thing we think about is like, what is the breakdown of the people who are on this list? And part of the problem is the fact that, or not the problem, but part of the reason why this might occur more often is because they've asked so many different people to just provide their favorites. And so as like individual people giving their five recommendations, they might not think necessarily about the breakdown of the authors that they're providing, because they're like, oh, I'm just providing five of them. So I don't necessarily have to in their heads, they probably don't real either don't realize it or don't think they have to like make that effort of including authors of color, like, like Katie said, you know, good on the Guardian for asking authors and not at least one author of color that we could tell and like at least making that effort. But I think it always comes down to like the publications and the writers themselves when they're putting together these lists. Like there comes a point where either one, you have to prompt people um, to be aware of the breakdown of the authors and writers that they are including on their list. And so like when you're sending out the pitches of like, hey, if you're going to participate in this, keep this in mind when you're providing your list. And so that way, when you get the information back, you're getting a variety of writers. Um, And then also when you look at the full list (laughs) that you get back, don't just like take it at base value or at face value um, and like do something about it. I have like the same issue with the New York Times by the book um, column because they like ask a standard set of questions to every single person who goes through the column um, and they don't edit or do anything with it, which is fine and is you know, interesting to a certain extent. Uh, but plenty of people have done crunched the numbers on the by the book column and have noticed that one male authors almost always only recommend uh, female or male other male authors, um, and maybe have one or two uh, female authors on their list. Or the same similar thing happens where they will only ever list white authors. And obviously, like this doesn't happen 100% of the time. But I always just think like, if I was running that column, I would at least make it an effort of like, when you're emailing out the questions, just be like, hey, and keep in mind this, these couple of details, um, you know, they're not required to publish that column, and they're not required to publish these lists. And so you could take the extra time and slightly extra effort of just like, hey, prompt people or adjust your list, or maybe ask another set of writers or something along those lines to stop lists like this from continuing to be published. Yeah, it's, um, and I know we've uh, we spent more time on this than we usually do on news items. But for me, as a library employee, um, like you said, as as a library employee, but now also as a Book Riot writer and editor um, for the last, actually, three years now, what, what, um, it's something that has really been, been ingrained in me. It's something I never looked at before until I started writing for Book Riot and it became a requirement that I had to, you know, keep that in mind when coming up with these lists. And so now when I when I do things like create book lists at work or create a display, 
my number one priority is to make sure that authors of color especially are represented. What doesn't matter what the display is, doesn't matter what the topic is, I'm going to make sure that there's that there's an author of color. If we have books by LGBTQ authors or authors that fall that that fall on that spectrum, I'm I'm going to make sure that we include them um, because I it's become second nature to me. My first question or my first thing I think of when I look at a list and I'm like white authors, we got to change this. Um, so it does take some effort, but if you do it consistently, it really becomes second nature. And I think that's something that is beneficial to everyone, whether you're working in libraries and publishing, um, anything, well, I mean, pretty much anything, but like, if you make it, if you make a habit to consider these things, when you're putting together these book lists or resource lists, um, that's only, that's only going to allow you to provide a richer and more varied resource for readers. Um, so the, just, just our two thoughts on that. Um, and then um, I'll go ahead and um, unless there was anything else that you wanted to add, Rincy. No, I mean, the only other thing that ever um, that I ever kind of consider when I'm looking at lists like this, and I see these things come up is like, part of the effort also is like, creating more variety in the books that you are reading Mm -hmm. because if you're reading more books from different authors and from different backgrounds you'll naturally think of those books when you're making these lists um so i always just question uh just what these people are reading (laughs) on a regular basis because clearly they can't be reading very widely if their lists are all the same or all homogenous in a certain way very true. Very, very true. Okay, so then the the last news item that we have, um, the Anthony Award nominations were just announced. Um, and actually, <laughs> I was gonna say tying into what we were just talking about, it's actually a pretty decent list. Um, I won't go through all of the nominees, um, but some of the highlights from the list, uh, Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott has been nominated for Best Novel. My Sister the Serial Killer has been nominated for Best First Novel, and you know how much we love that that book here. Um, Kelly Garrett has been nominated for Best Paperback Original Novel. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few different categories. Um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark has been nominated for Best Critical or Nonfiction Work. Um, there's just, there's some really great titles on, on this list. So the, um, the awards, I believe, are going to be, uh, they're going to be presented in the fall, um, in, at the beginning of November. So we've still got some time before the winners are announced. But if you want to take a look at the nominees, we will have a link in the show notes. And it's, um, yeah, just take a look. There's, there's some pretty solid titles on there. All right. So before we jump into the main topic, I have our first sponsor. And this episode is sponsored by Amazon Publishing and The Rule of Many by Leslie Saunders and Ashley Saunders. In a near future America, rebellious sisters herald a revolution if they can survive. Twins Ava and Mira Goodwin defy the rule of one, a single child law ruthlessly enforced by Texas's Governor Roth simply by existing. The law has made it made the sisters famous fugitives in Canada and inspirations for a rebellion. But as the relentless Roth co- consolidates his power, Ava and Mira give up their safe haven and find new allies. Together, they'll converge on Dallas for a reckoning with nothing less than their destinies and their freedom on the line. Disobedience means death, but a life worth living demands rebellion. 
So this is the second novel in the Heart Pounding Rule of One series. Um, and so this is obviously taking place in a dystopian future America, um, where living a life has become a crime. Um, so again, that is The Rule of Many by Leslie and Ashley Saunders. And thanks so much to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so for this episode, this was what we were going to talk about last time before the thing with the male authors writing female characters, which we will not go into again. Um, <laughs> I got my rants out the first time. But anyway, th we are talking about Asian and Asian American mystery authors because May is Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So previously, we had each picked one or two novels to talk about by uh, authors who were Asian or Asian American. Um, do you want to go first with yours or should I go first? I can go first. Go for it. So one of them, I mean, if you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard me mention this one. Actually, I think I've talked about it on multiple episodes because I kept meaning to read it. Um, but I read The Fragipani Tree Mystery by Ovidia Yu. This is a historical mystery that is set in the 1930s Singapore. And I'll just start off by saying I love this book so much. I think the second book is already out in this series or is coming out this year. And I am 100% going to pick up the next one. So you are following this girl named Su Lin. And the story starts off with um, her getting into like an argument or a fight or like a disagreement with her uncle. Um, she's orphaned and she suffered from polio, I believe, when she was younger. And so um, she ends up like living with her uncle and her uncle is trying to arrange a marriage for her. And he basically picks someone who's not a very good person or doesn't seem like a very good person. We don't ever actually meet this person. Um, but Su Lin has no interest in marrying him. And he's just trying to set up anything because he believes that because she like suffered from polio and is an orphan, um, a lot of people will look at her as sort of like an unlucky person. And so no one's going to be willing to marry her. But Su Lin actually has no interest in getting married, at least at this point in her life. Um, and she actually wants to have a career. So She's like thinking like in her head, her dream career is to become a journalist. And so she like gets into a disagreement with her uncle and brings it up with one of uh the teachers at the school, the like sort of uh sort of like the schools that teach you how to act properly and things like that. Um the gov and so while they're having this argument, uh one of the local detectives walks in and he's actually a British man living in Singapore. Um, and while they're, the detective is there, they find out that the nanny of the acting governor, or like the acting governor's daughter, has uh, died because she fell off of a balcony. And so the detective goes and Sulin ends up going with him. And she basically gets involved in the case of what happened to this nanny. And because the nanny has gone missing, um, the acting governor actually asks Su Lin to step in as the nanny for the time being because she gets along really well with the daughter while she's at the house. And so um, she's staying at the house where this death has occurred and they're not really sure what exactly happened. And you just sort of like follow Su Lin as she uh, figures out how to be a nanny in this house because there are a lot of like really complicated family dynamics happening with the acting governor and his wife and his kids as well as the other people who sort of like work there and things like that and she's helping um the inspector you know figure out what exactly happened like trying to pick up on any details that she can while she's staying there yeah like i don't 
know how to like pitch this book to you guys because it's nothing super dramatic or anything like that but it was just like really charming um su lin is a really really great character she has so much heart and really wants to believe the best in like everyone that she comes across and really just wants to uh, set up on her own and like be her own person and things like that um she does have a slight physical disability because of the uh, polio and things like that. Um, So that's nice as well to see a character who has a physical disability. And yeah, she's just a really, really delightful character that I am very excited to keep reading for uh, more books in this series to like follow along with her journey because her and the chief inspector have like a really great dynamic as well. It's like one of those dynamics where like in the first book, you're like, are is this a setup for them to be together or not? I'm not completely sure. I'm com- okay with it kind of either way at this point um, because like the chief inspector is like described, he like lives on his own um, and I think like he before Sulin got hired as the nanny, he was going to like employ her as like an, a secretary or something like that. And so that's probably a thing that's going to happen in future books. But yeah, they have like a really great dynamic together. Um, she's like super smart and he's like continuously impressed by her. Um, it talks about like what it's like being a woman in Singapore in the 1930s and wanting to um, have a career and the lack of options and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just really, really delightful. I highly, highly recommend it if you are able to get your hands on a copy. I feel like this is one of those books though that's very hard to find in the US. I got a copy through my library and when I looked at it it's actually like the British edition like it has a British publisher on the uh, cover and everything. Uh so if you can get your hands on a copy of it, I highly recommend it. I know like this this series or this at least the first book has been on sale on um Amazon for like on the Kindle deals and things like that before for like 2.99 or 3.99 or something like that. So it is 100% worth it if you can get your hands on it. So again, that's the Fragipani Tree Mystery by Ovidia Yu. You know what? Just hearing you talk about it s- reminds me a lot of just kind of the feelings that I had the first time I read The Widows of Malabar Hill. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's like, very. I think it's like a little bit more on the cozy side than The Widows of Malabar Hill, but only like slightly if there's like, you know, if you think of it like a spectrum, like it's slightly more on the cozy side of things because it's not as it doesn't get as dark um as um Sujata Masi's books do but it has like a very similar vibe like it's so like comforting in that sim- same way so yeah i think that's a good exp- uh comparison okay good because th- that's that's what was going on in my head and i'm like okay if this is accurate i'm going to have to add this book to my list like right now <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. Like, oh, man, I'm so excited to read more in the series. Like, I haven't been this excited about a mystery series in a while. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll go ahead and uh, segue into mine because I am also super excited to talk about my book. Um, so I read the or I read Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, which um, which I had mentioned uh, briefly on the show before that I had read it and loved it, I believe. And I think, Rincey, was this one of your most anticipated books of the year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is so good. So, so good. Oh, my gosh. This was a book that I I read it in, like, two sittings. 
And this was a book that as soon as I finished it, I wanted to jump up and down and talk and find everyone I know and run around in circles and hit them upside the head with the book until they read it. That That is how I measure the success of a really awesome book. Do I want to whack someone over the head with it until they agree to read it? Um, no actual people were harmed during the reading of this book, but it is so, so good. So the premise is um so this takes place in this very small town in Virginia called Miracle Creek and uh you the main family is the U family Young and Pack U and they run this med- this experimental medical device that's called the Miracle Submarine basically it's a pressurized oxygen chamber that patients can enter for like an hour or two at a time with the I with the hope that the the increased oxygen levels and the pressurizations and things that that happen in the chamber um can provide can can help them with chronic whether it's physical ailments um the there are apparently reports that this type of treatment has uh, has been effective in helping to treat autism um infertility like it's like it's kind of a broad spectrum and i'm pre- i'm pretty sure that this is actually like a real medical treatment like this is a thing that actually exists in the in the world not necessarily the, not this situation not in miracle creek but the, this this device um i believe that there is actually that there there is you know medical studies kind of done to back this up that this might be you know a possible medical treatment well anyway in the story um there's a group of people a group of regulars that are going for for their they they go like twice a day or a few times a week or whatever the case may be and they're all in the chamber when it mysteriously explodes because it's it's full of oxygen and you know there's there's um they find out that there was a fire started outside the submarine and it explodes and it kills two people including um the son of one of uh one of the mothers who attends regularly her son was autistic and she usually would sit with him in the um she w- she would sit with him during the treatments but on this last one she didn't he he went in there by himself he was you know he was, he was severely autistic no i'm sorry it's not i'm sorry i'm getting mixed up because there are multiple children who have autism that are that are doing this study and one of them dies and now all of a sudden i'm i'm mixing up who belongs to which mother <laughs> so apologies for that but anyway the child dies she is um and then this mother is coincidentally not not in the in the machine when it happens other people are very seriously injured there's um you know it's a, it's a huge thing and so there's a trial and the the mother who they believe who stepped out of the the session to they fo- they found her smoking in the woods nearby and so they there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that comes up that they think that she's the one who did it and this this all happens at the beginning of the book so I'm not giving anything away but as the story unfolds and it's told through the perspectives I think maybe like five or six maybe seven different characters and you realize that everyone involved in this in this situation both the patients the members of the U family everyone there everyone has a secret 
everyone is hiding something, everyone is being slightly dishonest or keeping things from their loved ones, from the from law enforcement, like everyone has a secret. And it just it just layers on top of itself. What I what I was so struck by is how skillfully um, Angie Kim weaves these different storylines and how they lay on top of each other and how these all of these stories just work so seamlessly together and you you every any one of these characters could you know plausibly have have actually done it you know there's it's not it's not at all a clear case of you know of who done it and they think they figured it out the being the book clearly not and it's just it's so multi-layered and there are elements of there's um elements of racism since the family that owns the submarine and they're they're at the center of this trial they the family is korean they're they immigrated from from north or south korea um a few years previously and so there there are elements of racial attitudes in the town because they they live in virginia virginia's kind of you know virginia has a has a history of racial issues and it's just so skillfully done and I I have to say, I mean, by the end of the book, I had kind of guessed what what the solution was. Part of that is because, like I said, when I read these types of novels, every time another character comes up, I'm like, they did it. They did it. Um, but I did kind of figure it out, but it didn't matter. Like, I, it was just so well done. And it's such a and then there are all of these other issues about like there's a lot of focus on the mothers that have children with autism and there are lots of questions about like what it's like to be a parent to to children like that on varying various points on the spectrum um you know the idea should you be trying to treat your child's autism should you accept them as they are like it's so many ethical and like moral questions that do not have any easy answers. And it's this book is just so well written. I'm I've described it as like Jody Picoult meets Celeste Ng. Like this book is so good. Is there so many issues to talk about? If you have a book club, oh my gosh, this book would be amazing for it. I have hand sold this book to every one of my coworkers, multiple patrons that have come in. I've ordered multiple copies of it. My my fellow coworkers, after hearing me do the Muppet Arms about it, they have given it out to other people. Like I am going to start a trend here in my little community <laughs> with people reading this book. So, um, again, I cannot give this book enough stars or enough praise. Um, again, that is Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. Yeah, I'm a little bit upset at myself that I haven't read that one yet, but I had a bunch of library books I needed to read first. So I actually own a copy of Miracle Creek, but I have that on my list to read very, very soon. Oh, so good. And I will say, if you have any other um, books by... Uh, Asian Asian American authors that you think would that we would really enjoy please do let us know we we always like more reading suggestions like we don't have enough um so so that's a, that's another thing if you, if you have any suggestions for us please please do uh let us know when we when we provide our contact information um but anyway our second sponsor for the episode is Looking for Garbo by John James Miller 
In the in looking for Garbo, tabloid New York City reporter Seth Mosley gets a hot tip that movie goddess Greta Garbo is stowed aboard an ocean liner bound for Europe on September September first, nineteen thirty nine. He boards the vessel, desperate to get a candid photo and pay off some hefty gambling debts. But he gets more than he bargained for when Seth realizes the reclusive Garbo is actually sailing to Nazi Germany on a secret mission to stop World War II before it can start by assassinating her biggest fan. Adolf Hitler. Miller's debut novel is filled with action, thrills, and golden age Hollywood glamour. So this book sounds like it's got a heck of a lot going on in it. So if you are into historical mysteries or historical espionage or books with pl- with plot lines that go, well, I didn't think they were going to go there, um, definitely want to check out Looking for Garbo by John James Miller. And we thank them very much for sponsoring the episode. All right, I have our new releases for this week. Um, the first one I have is The Favorite Daughter by Kara Rhoda. This one is already out this week. Um, in this book, you are following Jane Harris, who lives in a sparkling home in an oceanfront gated community in Orange County. It's a place that seems too beautiful to be touched by sadness, but exactly one year ago, Jane's oldest daughter, Mary, died in a tragic accident, and Jane's been grief-stricken ever since. Lost in a haze of antidepressants, she's barely even left the house, but now all that's going to change. It's time for Jane to reclaim her life and her family, but Jane's husband, David, has planned a memorial service for Mary, and three days later, their youngest daughter, Betsy, graduates high school. However, as Jane's re-emerging into the world, it's clear her family has changed without her. Her husband has been working long days and nights at the office. Her daughter seems distant, even secretive, and her beloved Mary was always such a good girl, dutiful, and loving. But does someone know more about Mary and about her last day than they revealed? The bonds between mothers and daughters and husbands and wives should never be broken, but you never know how far someone will go to keep a family together. Um, so Kara Rhoda wrote the book Best Day Ever. This is a new psychological suspense book set in an upscale Southern California community um, and is being described as perfect for fans of B.A. Paris and Sherry Lapina. And again, that one is called The Favorite Daughter. Another one that is out this week, this is a nonfiction book. It's called The Queen by Josh Levin. The subtitle to this is The Forgotten Life Behind an American Myth. Um, so this one is actually set in Chicago, um, on the south side of Chicago in 1974. Linda Taylor reported a phony burglary concocting a lie about stolen furs and jewelry. The detective who checked it out soon discovered that she was a welfare cheat who drove a Cadillac to collect ill-gotten government checks. Um, and that was just sort of the beginning of the story. Taylor, it turned out, was also a kidnapper and possibly a murderer, um, a desperately ill teacher, a combat traumatized Marine, an elderly woman hungry for companionship um, after Taylor came into their lives, all three of those people ended up dead under suspicious circumstances. But nobody, um, not the journalists who talked about her, the police, um, or even presidential candidate Ronald Reagan seemed to care about anything but her welfare thievery. Growing up in the Jim Crow South, um, Taylor was made an outcast because uh, she was a black woman. She rose to infamy, the press and politicians manipulated 
manipulated her image to demonize other poor black women. Um, So this book is part social history, part true crime investigation. And Josh Levin um, looks at six years of reporting and research um, to look at this account of American racism um, and expose the welfare queen myth, um, one that has fueled political debates that reverberate to this day. Um, And so in this book, they are telling sort of this story of what was done to Linda Taylor, um, what she did to others, and then what was done in her name. And again, that one is called The Queen by Josh Levin. Coming out this coming Tuesday is Into the Jungle by Erica Ferenik. Lily Bushwald thought she was going, uh, she'd found the a- antidote to uh, an endless foster care and group home situation by getting a teaching job in Bolivia. As soon as she could steal enough cash for a plane, she was on it. But then the gig falls through and Lily stays in Bolivia. So she ends up bonding with other broke, rudderless girls at the local hostel. Um, tired of hustling and already world weary, crazy love finds her in the form she least expected. Omar, a savvy, handsome local man who'd abandoned his life as a hunter um, in this remote jungle village to try his hand at city life. When Omar learns that a jaguar has killed his four-year-old nephew, um, he gives Lily a choice, stay alone in the unforgiving city or travel to the last in a string of ever more isolated river towns in the jungles of Bolivia. Um, This place has 30-foot anaconda, puppy-side spiders, everything you could think of, but love struck Lily is oblivious. She follows Omar to this ruthless new world of lawless poachers, bullheaded missionaries, and desperate indigenous tribes driven to the brink of extinction. To survive, Lily must navigate the jungles, its wonders, as well as its terrors, using only her wits and resilience. Um, So this one is being described as sort of visceral white knuckle prose that will sink its fangs into you and not let go. Um, And again, that one is called Into the Jungle by Erica Ferenik. The final one that I have is a little bit different from what we usually talk about because this is a middle grade mystery book, but it sounded super cute. So I decided to include it. Um, It's called The Bookcase by Dave Shelton. He is both the author and the illustrator. Daphne is off to an exclusive girls boarding school school where she'll be given a brand new start after her expulsion. But St. Rita's School for Girls is not your ordinary school, and these are certainly not ordinary girls. As it turns out, nothing is quite as you would expect at St. Rita's, but then she meets Emily Lime, a crime-solving genius who's looking for a new library assistant, and the book-smart Daphne is just the girl for the job. Mystery and intrigue are about to strike at St. Rita's, and Emily Lime is going to need all the help she can get. So again, that one is called The Bookcase by Dave Shelton. It might be good for you if you enjoy middle grade or if you have a middle grade reader in your life. And then finally, two books I'm just going to quickly mention as like honorable mentions, Carrie Mora by Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris is the author and creator of Hannibal and the Science of the Lambs. He has a new book out um, this week. Um, And then The Sentence is Death by Anthony Horowitz. Um, It's another book out from this writer who wrote uh, Magpie Murders, which I really enjoyed. So yes, The Sentence is Death is also out, I believe, next week. Oh my gosh, so many books. Also, I have to say, with the book Into the Jungle, <laughs> following a guy into the Bolivian jungles, 30-foot anacondas and puppy-sized size spiders. I'm going, mm, no, I'm sorry. Do not recommend. Do not recommend. <laughs> do not recommend. There is a limit. Um, I feel I feel like meatloaf. I do anything for <laughs> love, but I won't do that. 
<laughs> maybe maybe that's what Meatloaf was talking about. I was literally going to say that. <laughs> maybe we maybe we solved that that eternal question. <laughs> we figured it out, guys. We figured out what Meatloaf won't do for love, which is go to Bolivia, or at least the Bolivian jungles, which is probably smart. All right. Well, in terms of what I have recently finished, um, besides Miracle Creek, um, which I finished a while ago, um, I did read. I think I talked about it in the last episode, um, Evil Things by Katya Ivar, or Ivar. It is the first in a series. It, um, it takes place in Finland. Um, this is a, this is a translated book. And, um, I finished it, I finished it last night. It's, it's interesting. I guess I expect with, with a book called Evil Things, I was a little underwhelmed, but, then again, I mean, the the evil things that the title is referring to are in fact evil. I don't know if it's just a an issue of how the translation came across. It just it didn't have quite the urgency that I would have expected from something with that title. But that being said, it is interesting. Um, it takes place after um, World War II. It takes place in the early 1950s in Finland. The main character is Hella Mauser. She is the first female Helsinki murder squad detective, um, but she gets transferred to a remote, to a, to a very remote village. Um, and there are lots of issues of sexism at play here because she is the first female, um, po- the first female police officer. Um, and that, that comes across extremely strongly. And she is dispatched to this this even more remote village near the Soviet border to investigate an old man's disappearance that may have ties to the the ongoing tensions between Finland and the Soviet Union. Um, obviously, and then the mystery becomes more complex. It, it, it's an interesting mystery. Um, I, I, the trans, the translation, or some, there's something that doesn't always come across well. Um, the, the way the main character reacts to certain things sometimes seems like she, she reacts very strongly to, to certain things, and it's kind of hard to understand why. I think there are things in her past that do sort of explain it, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, I know this book talks about, you know, the issues of sexism and stuff like that, but I really do think she's overreacting to some of these things. But it was an interesting read, and I and I and I really enjoyed it. It got better as as the book went on, um, and I thought it, I thought it had a good uh, it had a good satisfying ending. Um, so I think it's it's definitely it's definitely one to keep on your radar. So again, that's uh, Evil Things by Katya Ivar or Ivar. And I believe this is part of a series. I don't know if there are any other books that in the series that have been that have been written. So yeah, I'm not sure about that. But it, if it is a series, it is definitely the first one. All right. Um, and then the other book that I read was is actually one that I probably could have talked about for the main uh, topic, but I didn't, um, because we were kind of running long. And that was Newcomer by Kiko Higashino and translated by Giles Murray. So, um, Katie and I have both read, uh, detect or the devotion of suspect X. It was one of my favorite books that I read last year. That one like blew me away. Um, and so newcomer is the latest book by Kiko Higashino to be translated into English. It was just published last fall, I believe. And so this is in the detective Kaga series. So if you read or are aware of the devotion of suspect X, that one is the detective Galileo series. Um, and so this is a different detective, different series. And this is the second one in that series to be translated into English. And this one is really interesting. Um, Um, Basically, Detective Kaga is new in this uh, 
specific area of Tokyo. And the way the story is broken up into, I want to say five different parts, or maybe more than that. Um, And so in each part, what you're doing is you are following a specific set of characters who are all involved in this woman's death. Um, And this woman was relatively new to this area herself. She was a newcomer, you may say. Um, And so yeah, each uh, section follows a specific set of characters and you're following those characters over the span of like the entire investigation. So you're seeing like little details from the investigation through the point of view of these uh, people who are sort of tangentially involved and you get to see sort of like all of the pieces put together. So it kind of reads like a short story collection, except they're just like interconnected short stories. Um, so it's really different from the devotion of suspect X or anything like that. Um but it it's a really interesting way to put the stories together because it emphasizes the characters almost as much as, if not more than, uh, the mystery itself. Like, as you find out more about the mystery and, like, the characters that you follow become more closely related to the uh, victim, um, it feels more about the mystery. But in the beginning, you're sort of reading these stories or reading about these characters and reading about um, how Detective Kaga is like asking them specific questions and things like that. And it feels less about the mystery itself. So if that's a thing that bothers you, I would not recommend this book necessarily. Um, But I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I mentioned this, I posted about this on Instagram. And I said, like, if you enjoy Agatha Christie books, you should read Kika Higashino. And someone commented about how um, they had read this one, but they didn't enjoy it very much, or they don't enjoy Detective Kaga as much as they enjoy Detective Galileo, which I can completely understand. And I think I agree, like, if I was going to rank them, I liked the Detective Galileo stuff better. But again, it just reminds me of Agatha Christie and how Agatha Christie has, like, all these different detectives that she utilizes, and people have different preferences in terms of, like, which ones they like better and stuff like that. Um, and like the way that he constructs his stories. They're not just like straightforward murder mysteries or anything like that. There's like always a really fun twist and play on the mystery genre that I like a lot. Um, So yes, if you haven't picked up Kika Higashino yet, highly recommend it. Again, this one was called The Newcomer or just Newcomer. um, And it just came out this past fall. Um, and then in terms of what I'm reading next, honestly, I have no idea. Um, I have a bajillion books. I, I legitimately have like 13 books out from the library. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got me. Dude. Um, so yes, something I'll get read between now and then I don't between now and the next recording. I'm not sure what it'll be though. So that's all. <laughs> yeah. And if I didn't mention it already at this point, I can't remember what I've done in the last five minutes. But um, I'm not sure what I'm going to read either. I do have not quite as lo- big a stack of library books, but none of them are mysteries. Um, so I'm like, ah, those don't really those may not apply here, but I do need to read them. So we shall see what the next two weeks brings. <laughs> All right. So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head to bookriot.com slash listen. There'll be links to all of the news stories uh, that we talked about at the top of the show, as well as all of the books that we have mentioned throughout the episode. If you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us. If you want to send us an email with suggestions for future episodes, questions, general comments, tell us about your favorite Asian or Asian American authors, um, you can email us. Uh, Our email address is redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.